Hello and a very warm welcome to our NICE Guideline Update podcast. My name is Emma Smith and I'm an Advanced Nurse Practitioner and the Director of Clinical Services and Quality for North Norfolk Primary Care. And I'm here again with my podcast partner, Emma Lambon. Hello, I'm Emma Lambon and I'm an Advanced Nurse Practitioner and the Board Nurse for North Norfolk Primary Care. This podcast is an 8-10 to minute overview of any new or changed guidelines from NICE for the month of October, which is relevant to us in primary care and it's in conjunction with the NICE guideline monthly newsletter, which is distributed all over North Norfolk to all the clinicians and beyond now as well. So Emma, what's new or changed this month? Okay, so well, this month is quite scant, to be honest, in the NICE guidance updates, which are only significant for primary care. A lot of them are are secondary care focused. But nonetheless, we have a couple of interesting ones to discuss. Um, So the first one is NG226, which covers osteoarthritis in over 16s, diagnosis and management. It's been published on the 19th of October 2022 and is a brand new guidance, which replaces CG177 which was published back in February 2014 and covered osteoarthritis um, with diagnosis and management, but this is in a new format. The new guidance covers the diagnosis, assessment and non-surgical management of osteoarthritis, and it aims to improve the quality of life for people living with the condition. The guidance has an excellent visual summary on the recommendations for the management of osteoarthritis, so it's really well worth a look and a read. Okay, brilliant. Thanks, Emma. So what does the guidance cover? Let's have a look. The guideline includes recommendations on diagnosis, information and support, non-pharmacological management, pharmacological management, if I can say it, Mm -hmm. um, follow-up and review and referral for joint replacement, as well as arthroscopic procedures. So let's think about how we would treat, say, Mr Jones, a 60-year-old who is presented with an osteoarthritic knee and is not responding to the non-pharmacological management options. Well, how would you support them from a pharmacological management perspective, Emma, if they presented to you? Okay, so obviously I would follow the NICE guidance for this aspect of the patient's care. This would involve um, using a pharmacological um, treatment alongside a non-pharmacological treatment and to support therapeutic exercise. So, for example, if it's too painful for them to do exercise, then clearly you need to address that pain. So I would normally start at the lowest effective dose for the shortest time possible. Um, I would offer uh, a topical non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug to help the knee in Mr Jones. Um, however, I would offer, I would consider offering a topical NSAID for people with osteoarthritis that only affects other joints other than the knee. So um, it, if it is the, um, the case that the topical medicines are ineffective or unsuitable, I would then consider ramping up to oral NSAIDs for people with osteoarthritis, but also taking into account any potential gastrointestinal, renal, liver or cardiovascular to- toxicity. Um, also, I would consider any risk factors, that the per- risk factors that the person may have, which includes age, pregnancy, current medication and comorbidities, um, and also would consider offering a gastroprotective treatment such as a PPI for people with osteoarthritis while they've taken a, an NSAID. Okay, that's good. And what about the guidance as to how not to treat? What are we advised not to do? So it advises, particularly from a pharmacological point of view, um, not to routinely offer paracetamol or weak opioids unless they are only used infrequently for short-term pain relief and all other pharmacological treatments are contraindicated or not tolerated or ineffective. 
Um, it's also made the point to explain to people um, with osteoarthritis that there is no strong evidence for the benefit of paracetamol. Um, and obviously for more and get more information on the about opioids. You can get more, more um, information on opioids on the NICE's guideline on medicines associated with dependence or withdrawal symptoms. It's also worth a point um, in saying that it's not worth offering glucosamine or strong opioids to people to manage osteoarthritis. Um, and if the person does take glucosamine or a strong opioid, explain that there is no strong evidence to explain any benefit for glucosamine. And there is um, big risks of um, being on long-term strong opioids, and this definitely outweighs the benefits. So it's a case of just overall reviewing the person as to whether or not to continue with those treatments um, and base them on um, frequency of reviews and on clinical need. Okay, thanks, Emma. And I can see that the guidance also advises not to offer intra-articular hyaluronin injections to manage osteoarthritis but to only consider them when other pharmacological treatments are ineffective or unsuitable or to support therapeutic exercise. Um, they do say explain to the person or the patient that these only provide short-term relief, which is sort of two to ten weeks. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for adding that, Emma. Um, shall we now look at the next um, briefing, which, which was also another sort of uh, interesting thing that I found with the updates for this month. Um, there's a, a new MedTech innovation briefing, which is MIB309, and it offers information on daylight for treating generalised generalized anxiety disorders in adults. Yeah, sure. This is a really interesting brief. Um, so, so just to summarise it, the innovative aspects are that Daylight is a digital therapeutic that has been co-designed with experts to facilitate quick understanding and practice of cognitive behavioural therapy, CBT skills, in people's daily lives. Um, the intended place of treatment would be as an alternative to guided or non-facilitated low-intensity psychological interventions in adults. Um, with GAD or symptoms of GAD. And the main points from the evidence summarised in this briefing are taken from two studies, one randomised control trial and one feasibility study, which included a total of 277 adults, so a decent-sized study. Both included people with moderate to severe symptoms, and they showed that daylight is more effective um, than a waitlist control. People who did not have the treatment in the trial but were put on a list to have it afterwards, and it did reduce the symptoms of GAD. Key uncertainties around the evidence or tech are that the studies compared daylight to the waitlist control, which limits interpretation of its effect size compared with standard care. There's no evidence on using daylight with mild symptoms of GAD or comparing it with standard care. Experts advise that the evidence on daylight is encouraging, but that more research is needed to compare it with standard care. And they noticed if it's not effective, there is risk that daylight might lead to deterioration in the condition. There was also some concern that people who self-refer to daylight might not be signposted to high intensity interventions if they were needed and that some people could become frustrated with the tech difficulties that might occur with digital therapeutics. Mm. The cost of daylight is about £70 per year, excluding VAT, for each person who wants to start treatment. Um, so population-based pricing is also available to make it more accessible to all adults within a specific geographical area. 
the cost of standard care ranges from sort of £10 from non-admitted mental health care right up to £362 per unit for improving access to psychological therapies. Um, so those programmes include assessment, treatment and review. Daylight is accessed using a smartphone app, which may reduce the need for people to travel to face-to-face -face appointments. And the company also claim that daylight may reduce medication use. So environmental benefits associated with the safe and effective use of these medicines. There's no published evidence to support these claims just yet. Thanks, Emma. That sounds really hopeful. And obviously there are um, other things that needs to be looked into to um, make sure that there, there is evidence support to support the use of it in primary care. So the whole concept of bringing innovation and technology to primary care and the community is one aspect which we at NNPC has delivered locally. There's been lots of services uh, rolled out which involves innovation and technology one of which is a 24-hour ECG um, service to detect cardiac arrhythmias. And we're currently now delivering the digital platform service for teledermatology. And this obviously is a service which supports primary care clinicians to allow them to make a direct referral via an app to a consultant dermatologist, thus negating the need to refer to the hospital um, specifically for routine or non-urgent advice, um, or even if they're unsure of a diagnosis. It gives the opportunity for clinical dialogue about dermatological conditions direct to consultants, all done remotely and quickly, using usually the referring clinician will have a management plan for a patient within a few hours, with the target being usually within 20, uh, 48 hours. So NNPC are also working on delivery of new technology into the community for spirometry currently, which will support practices in a, in a new innovative way in managing patients who require that investigation. Excellent. That sounds really interesting. Thanks, Emma. And if listeners are interested in learning more, you can visit www.nnpc.info for more information. Um, the website can also be used to gain contact details for myself and Emma. Um, we'd love to hear your feedback and we'd love to hear from you. OK, that's all we've got time for this month. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.